I grabbed onto my faith, I just found this massive nurturing love in God. And for me, that was my saving grace. Every time your circumstances get to the point where you're like, I had no faith in people anymore. It was difficult for me to grab onto that. So I needed a higher power. Welcome to the Grant Owen Podcast, where we explore the world of entrepreneurship. Join us as we dive into the nitty-gritty of what it takes to start, grow, and scale a successful business. We're on a mission to share our experiences, failures, insights, and advice with others. Whether you're just starting out in your entrepreneurial journey, or you're looking to take your business to the next level, tune in and join the conversation about what it takes to succeed in the world of business. We going for Welcome to the Grant Owen Podcast. It is a pleasure to have you with me right now. I have a guest that I'm super excited to talk to, but before I dive into it, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being present. Thank you for giving me your attention, which is the most valuable asset in the world. And all I ask, I don't ask much of you. I don't ask much of you. All that I ask is if you benefit from this conversation, you benefit from hearing Karen's story, that you would share this with one person not even on your social media profile, not on your feed, that you would send this conversation and say, man, this really impacted me, and I think it should impact you. Um, That's all I ask, because if we can help one person, if we can care for one person, if we can benefit one person's life, then this time investment and us having this conversation is worth that investment. So, um, Karen, thank you so much for being with me. Thanks Thanks for giving me your time and giving me your energy. Thank you so much for having me, Grant. Um, I feel really honored to be here today. I must say I thoroughly enjoy your podcasts. I've been sending those Thank to you. one friend <laughs> that I think would really benefit from it. And it's, it's true. We need to do that, right? Help others. That's why we're here. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, let's, let's dive in. So tell me, uh, I, I, this is going to be an interesting episode for me because I know very little about what you do. I know very little about where you, I, I know like the, you know, like the, the five second overview, right, of like yes. of everything you've been through and everything that's that's impacted and, and your mission. But I would love to just hear it in your words. Um, first, let's dive high level. Talk to me about Boulevard Magazine. Talk to me about what you do for work. Talk to me about about what your mission is on that front. Sounds good. So Boulevard Magazine, I've been with them since last year, March. Love it. It's a community magazine. It's for the up, living life at the finest. For more. Upstyle, you know, markets, really focusing on um, different areas, everything from featuring a local chef uh, or a local coffee maker to a beautiful house in our community and people lifting them out, um, business owners, um, people that have really put it in, you know, that stands out in the community. So we have five publications. Our main one is in Victoria and it's actually been around for almost 30 years. And then we have one in Central Island. We've got an English one in Vancouver, a Chinese one in Vancouver, and then the one in the Okanagan. So my big baby is the one in the Okanagan. That's the one I started with. I recently um, started helping them with the one in Vancouver as well, our Chinese and our English one. And um, yeah, I'm quite proud of that. It's a lovely magazine and it's well loved by the people in our community. So my job there is to just get businesses in the area that wants to do advertising, but also then picking those individuals that we want to maybe feature and do stories on. So that makes it quite exciting. Cool. And that's specific to people within that area, right? It's specific to like marketing for uh, like Vancouver, I guess, Kelowna as well? Yes. So what we do is it's people, 
Say it's an online business, right? Um, we kind of go into the markets where they want to be. Um, but yes, we try and keep it local in the community they're in. It's, it's quite one thing to see yourself in a magazine, but it's quite another to see your fellow business owner who you've known worked really hard, just the same as you, um, mm -hmm. featured in that same magazine, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, actually, that makes me curious. Like, what? I know very little about the magazine space. Like, is it, is it, tell me, like, talk to me about the effectiveness of that marketing. Like, I, I know almost yeah. nothing about it. Do people actually still get magazines? Is it, like, how is it translated to online stuff? Yeah, good, good question. Um, if you're looking at online, for instance, that's the quick buy, right? The quick instance, I click, I want a result right now. And yes, we do live in a microwave mentality type of community where people do want to do that in certain types of aspects in their business. With magazine or print magazine, it's more of a longer lasting. So it's, it's a little bit of a slower uptake, but you're, the time frame that people get to see that and cling to that and read that is much longer. And very interesting that you say that because a lot of people said, oh, wow, you know, print media is dying. It's everything but dying. So in COVID, actually in COVID and after COVID, our subscriptions have actually climbed, which is wonderful because I believe people find a sense of normalcy when they hold a magazine or they read it, it just feels a little bit more normal. If you ask any woman, she'd say, oh, there's nothing that compares to me grabbing a cup of coffee and sitting down and paging through a magazine. The smell, the feel, the touch, that's exactly what it is. It's bringing that connection back to the consumer or the market out there to be really engaged in what they do in their community. It's interesting because when I think of magazines, I think of like People Magazine or like some uh, Forbes or something to that extent, right? Where it's, I don't even necessarily open it, but just the publication itself gives some level of notoriety. And I think, especially for business magazines, that's kind of like a similar thing where I, I just, I'm just curious, like, how much do you, how much does it actually benefit for marketing for a business to be featured and get that notoriety? Well, it depends on the business, right? It depends on who you choose to be in your market, and it depends on your, your, your target market or your demographic that you're looking at. So when we look at Boulevard, it's from our main demographic, I would say, is basically about age 38 and upwards. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it's more the, the upmarket lifestyle. It's not the average. It's not a newspaper ad where you want a quick impact uh, low money. This is a high gloss magazine. I actually have one here with me so I can show you how pretty it is. It's a high gloss magazine and it's so lovely because it. it's, yeah, it's a beautiful magazine, you know, and it's, um, it's just a different quality for a company to look at that. I would never say, please don't look at any other avenue. I do believe in digital Boulevard magazine is with Black Press Media, which is the biggest publication house in Canada at the moment, the privately owned publication house. So there's a niche for everyone. Um, this is not the all in all for the majority of the market. We need to find that space. And I think that's where I'm really good at listening to the client and saying, listen, what is your vision? What is your goal? Let's see if I can assist you. And if I can assist you, let me show you 
what else can be done or refer you to someone who can help you. I'd be very naive to think that I have the answer to everything marketing with one magazine, right? Hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, so tell me, tell me on that. So like where, before you, you were working with Boulevard, where did you get your knowledge of marketing? Where did you, like, what established you within this space? Like, I'm sure you have an energy that, right, that is apparent where it's, like, very, you're very, like, kind, you're very outgoing. So I'm sure on that element, right, there's, there's just a skill set that just naturally progresses. But where did you learn that? Where did you establish it? So my career started at the age of 14, where I did a combination of schooling and some serving. And I realized that, I just have a passion for people, right? I want to get to know people and I want to get to know more of them. So I never think of my work as a job. I, my job is to connect people. My job is to love people. My job is to take hands with other people and assist them. And you know what? Work just flows from that. So years ago, to answer your question on where I started with, with that, is I moved into from there into um, the aesthetic world in South Africa, where I did started off as a as an, a skincare therapist, esthetician back in the day, and uh, the the doctor that I worked for back then, I will never forget it. Her husband came to me with a little bag of products. It was about six products in there. And it was a French brand. And he was like, well, let's start a company. And I was like, well, sounds good. How do we do this, right? And I had to kind of fight my way through trying to figure out how do we do this? How do we build this? And I, I really developed this passion. See a need, fill a need, right? Look at where the need is and then just fill it from there. That grew up to the point where before I left South Africa, I ran a an, the aesthetic division in a pharmaceutical company across sub-Saharan Africa. Moved over to Canada, which was now almost five years ago. I mean, you can hear the accent still. And <laughs> But um, moved over here, and essentially when you immigrate, you start at ground level, right? So here I was in this big corporate job, and I came to Canada, and I had to do pedicures again. Nothing wrong with that. It was just a jump from corporate straight down back to the bottom, right? And I was just so passionate about people and passionate about doing this. Things align in your life. And this opportunity came across my path and I could not say no. Um, so I thoroughly enjoy the part of my job where it's the connection part, right? What, uh, what led to that move? Like why, why immigrate from from South Africa to, to Canada? Good question. So uh, there's very little known in the media about what is actually going on in South Africa. And for us as a family, it was just really important that we provide a safe space for our boys. I'm a mother of three boys. And it's a very dangerous country for, for me. Nine out of my 10 friends were either shot robbed, mugged, or held a gunpoint. And I remember the last night, one of my kids, or my kids had to hide, and I had to say to them, you know what, it's an emergency, hide. And there was guns, and there was just doors or gates being slammed, locked, because that's the, that's the severity of it, right? And I just said, that's it. I cannot raise my boys in a country like this. I'm sorry, we need to make a plan, right? 
and then started the long process towards immigration because it's not an easy process. It's not a process that's overnight, it's not a quick process, and it's a heck of a lot of money, obviously. But it depends on where you choose. And we chose Canada because it's, it's such a new country, right? There's so much opportunity in this country. Um, you don't want to move to a smaller country that you're kind of going to have your kids have to re-immigrate and go through it because it's not easy, like I said. You come from a country where it has a different currency and you, mm -hmm. you start from scratch. Essentially, you start from scratch. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah. Talk to me about, because I know, I know I'm not educated on South Africa at all. Um, in fact, I think most of my understanding of it is like probably generally positive. So talk like... Are, is is talk to me about the differentiation between like the lower class, middle class, and upper class in your perspective? Because you work with Boulevard magazine, and I, I'm just curious. Like you have an understanding now of like high class, like you're like you went from like even just like you said you immigrated, you started a, a lower tier job, and now you're working almost like in a like for an upscale publication. Um, in your experience with with South Africa, what's the differentiation between the middle class, lower class, and upper class? Like is it felt, is it like, Good like question. where were you in that space if you're working in the corporate world, like you're saying it's still unsafe. So like, tell me, tell me about your experience with that. Yeah. yeah. The problem there is there's such a massive gap between the low and the poor people and then the very high class that the average middle class person, you know, it's a, this continuous fight. Remember that there's no help that you get from the government. Um, you pay tax money, but your tax money doesn't work for you, right? You still have to pay everything extra. Your schooling, nothing's free. Nothing is helped or reduced because you have kids or you have certain expenses, right? It is just a dog-eat-dog -dog world, unfortunately. So it's an entrepreneurial country, which is phenomenal to learn that, but it's, I think the, it's 66 million people in a country that's smaller than the size of BC and Canada, which is so, so small. It's totally overpopulated. And then you don't have any border control. So all the other countries around you, anyone who jumps a fence, jumps a fence, right? So the problem is just so big. And there's not really much outcome. If I can give you one example, for instance, there was a thing called load shedding. Load shedding is where they would put your power off every single day for a certain amount of time to take some of the impact off the grid. So as a mother, you know, between your, your most important times in the morning, between six and nine in the morning, where you've got to get your kids ready, you've got to feed them, you've got to sort that out, you've got no power. And then again at night time, from five to eight, for instance, your power is off again. So how do you cope in a, in a country where there's no power for certain amounts of time. Your electricity bill doesn't reduce. Um, you know, it's just unfortunate that there is a, a hole in South Africa that is, it's just bad. It's just very corrupt and very bad. That's why you feel so sorry for the other people that, that's not here. Um, the people that doesn't want to go through the trouble of immigrate, immigration, because like I said, it's not easy, right? It's a lot of work to get here and um, you, 
you really need that support around you to say, listen, we are going to do this together. Um, at that point, I was still married. And um, my ex-husband did a lot of the paperwork. He helped a lot. We were a big team when it came to immigration because we've always had one goal in mind, and that's our kids, right? Keep the kids safe. And look, that's as a mother and a father, I mean, that you want the best for your kids, right? So, um, so yes. It does. I hope that it does. So tell me, tell me about, like, what was... What was, was there anything negative that happened to you guys? Is there anything that like specifically like caused this beyond the, I'm seeing what happens to everybody else? Was there any experience that happened to you guys that, that forced this? Yeah, you know, I was on the road a lot back then and I think I just got sick of carrying a gun. I got sick of having to carry a gun every single day of my life. Um, and then the last time, I think the final, the last nail through the coffin was a friend of mine who was in the same week that she was held a gunpoint with her husband in their business, um, her brother drove home regularly just after his shift at work and he got shot right in front of his gate at his house. And I think that was just a big eye opener for me because yes, you hear it and yes, you see it and yes, I've also been held a gunpoint, but at the end of the day, that was the final nail for me to say it's so close to home and it's so many people that are being affected by this and the stress that you pack up and the PTSD and all of that that goes with that is just not worth it, you know. I always have a saying, is the juice worth the squeeze? And the juice was not worth the squeeze. Wait, tell anymore. me, you said you were held at gun you yeah, you were held at gunpoint? Tell me about that. That 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 was that was actually an X. That was not oh my even word. <laughs> And that, yes, gun to the head, knife to the throat, that has oh happened, yes. Was that, but, and that um, was, was that more recent or was that back like when you were younger? No, that was back in the day when I was, um, I, I just turned 18. It was like just short of my 18th birthday and uh, I was dating someone who was pretty much just as broken as me. And it just came to a point where he was a very jealous guy. He was cheating on me so much. And, you know, if someone cheats on you, they always think that you do the same, right? So they become these, these investigators into your life looking for problems and where the problems are. So that was just kind of a warning for me, you know. Uh, throw my phone, he threw my phone against the wall where it splattered into a thousand pieces and he cocked his gun and he held it to my head and he said, that's the warning, right? Hmm. So how, what, do how, you do? Well, what do you do in those situations? Well, how does, that, how, does that, how does that affect your trust in men? How does that affect your ability to like see, because I think when someone like, I can understand broken people, everyone's going through it and you're 18, you're young and maybe you just don't have an understanding of relationships at that point, right? To the same extent that you do now, but like what, how did that affect your perspective of like finding someone who I can feel safe with? Good question. So I'll, I'll backpedal a little bit. I was actually at the age of two, some traumatic, my mom and my dad got divorced and um, I remember my dad coming in and, and speaking and saying goodbye and I remember that day 
the trauma of everyone around me. And I was a mere two years old, but I remember as a two-year-old walking and saying, what's going on? And all the adults just say, not now, not now, not now. Because in South Africa, a child needs to be seen but not heard. So that's where it started. That's where I, I initially lost my voice. And that got worse and worse over the years because remember South Africa is a very rigid, um, very rigid country in terms of men is in charge, women is not really worth much. Um, it's still that massive, massive gap that that um, the men are way more important, right? So you were raised in this culture where you don't you don't really have a voice, you don't really have an opinion as a woman, um, and now you've got to set out there to make the difference, right? So so it was broken earlier. My trust in men was already broken by the time I met this guy, right? And he was so broken, so he. Broken people look for broken people, right? And he was caring in that situation because he he actually, you know, you think you're in love. I mean, you're, you're 17, you're 18. What do you know? Your brain is not even properly developed, right? So you rush into the arms of someone where you think, oh, my gosh, this, this must be it, right? Yeah. And then to make matters worse... Um, I ended up dating this guy and I, and I got pregnant at the age of 22 and that was the final nail in the coffin for my parents because it's seen as a, it's a big sin, right? And this bastard child that you're carrying. So I was thrown out of my house. I was not welcome in my house and I had to move in with that guy because what do you do? What do you do when you are 22, you are pregnant and, you know, you've made this mistake, but now your circumstances forces you to do that. That's, that's all you have. You don't know better. To cut a long story short, that ended really bad in the sense of I eventually took my son and I load him in my car and I loaded in my car what I could load in my car and I, I just got away. I just thought, this is it. i got to keep my child safe. I don't want him to be in that environment. Let's just go wherever. Let's see what we can do. And, um, yeah, I mean, what do you do in those, those situations, right? I was very fortunate to, um, to have a job where I could take my kid and my kid went with me to work every day and you grow through that, right? You decide. It's a decision. Life is all about decisions. What do we do with it? Life gives us circumstances maybe or we're the total sum of the choices we make. But at the end of the day, we can choose to either sit there and cry about it. And yeah, you have to cry and work through that emotion. I totally agree with that. But then at some point, you have to get up. Get up, make that decision to say, you know what, I'm not going to let my circumstances keep me down. I am going to be the change that others want to see, right? You've experienced more trauma even in the first 20 plus, 22 years, more than most other people would have experienced in a lifetime. What do you think about people that complain? Absolutely. What do you think about people that complain, especially young people that complain, going through what you've been through? I've got a lot of compassion for that. It's terrible to complain sometimes, but it's a great thing because that means, I think, wait, let me rephrase that. I think it depends from which situation. Are you just complaining and sitting down and not doing anything? 
or are you complaining and you're reaching out? Because sometimes we need to take someone's hand. Some, sometimes someone is not strong enough to go through it. My trauma led me to actually go study um, women and children's trauma counseling. Mm. And I ended up doing that as a voluntary job in, in South Africa because the need is so great, right? You said you were working as a, you did some work as a social worker, right? So you're through that process as a social worker, uh, like you probably were exposed to even more pain and more misery and more trauma. I, I guess my question to that is like, not to cut you off in your first statement, but my question to that is, how, did you ever lose your faith in humanity? You know what, I, it was difficult for me. I grabbed onto my faith um, and I just found this massive nurturing love in God. And for me, that was my saving grace. Every time, um, you know, it, your circumstances gets to the point where you're like, I had no faith in people anymore. It was difficult for me to grab onto that. So I needed a higher power. If we keep our eyes just on people, we'll always, always be disappointed. People make mistakes. People, you know, do things that are not great or make wrong choices, just like I did. Who am I to judge them for what they've done? However, in saying that, now I feel that way. When I was in the midst of it, at some point in my life, I was probably a really bitter, mm. bitter person. I, nothing was great anymore, right? You don't feel loved. I didn't feel loved in my marriage. I didn't feel like any of the outside world was supporting me. I had no one that I could reach out to. Um, it's very, very wrong in the culture where I'm from to even speak about your husband. So no one even knew of lots of the traumas that I went through because it's not something that I shared. I didn't trust people. I didn't trust people with my secrets. I didn't trust people with what I have. It took me so much growth and self-development to get to a point where I could say, wow, I could trust someone. You know, you have to build that faith little by little by little. It's not overnight. It takes very long mm. to do that. Talk right? to me about your spirituality. So, you know, like at some point you, you believed in God. I'm not sure if you still do. But talk to me about the influence of that. Was that, was that, a, yeah. like, was that a core foundational part of this journey in restoring that faith? question. Um, I still believe in God. I still love him very much. He's still my North Star helping me guide my way. Um, I believe in that. I've seen too much. I've heard too much. I had a child who almost died of a head injury. I was in a massive car accident, which wasn't my fault. My house got struck by lightning and burned down. It's like crazy stuff that happened. That was after the age of 22, right? As if I didn't have enough by that age. So in all of that, in all of that, I saw his hand and I saw him help me. So I will never, ever get to a point where I say, I don't believe. Am I going to force my belief on someone else? Never. Never, ever. You know, that's a choice everyone has to make for themselves and um, what's right for you. I know what I believe and I know 
what I've seen, and therefore mm. I will always love God, mm. always. Your house got struck down by lightning. Yeah. <laughs> I can't get past that. Can you, can you tell me that story? Can you tell me that story? <laughs> Sure. Uh, so in South Africa, we have houses that are built with what we call thatch roofs. So there's all these long brown grass that grows in South Africa. And then the very skillful people come and they make little bundles of grass. You can actually Google it. It's really pretty. And then they kind of make a roof for your house for it, right? Normal brick house, but it's got a thatch roof. So it gives you more of a feel of being... It's basically like having a, a little condo somewhere, or not a condo, a, a bush, a little yeah. cabin somewhere, right? Something more that goes with the field. So you have, um, you know, lightning conductors, which is always a little bit further away from your house, which is very important because we've got some scary lightning in South Africa. And unfortunately... The lightning struck the conductor, but it was just, the force was just so hard that it bounced back onto our roof. And at that point, we had an older thatch roof than the newer ones have got loose grids where they're not all connected. But because ours was old, ours was all connected. So within a couple of seconds, our whole roof lit up like a toaster. And that roof and started burning. How, how many, did you so have, how many kids did you have at this been, point? Just one. Just one. Just one. Yeah. And he was just over one year old. And he was in his room. And that, that was my first, my first big trust in faith and in, in where I saw God's hand. Because that night when lightning struck our house and my ex got up, and remember, we've got burglar bars in front of our windows, right? You, nothing is just open. And he went and he took the, um, he tapped it, make sure that it was properly fitted so no one can break in because there's that risk, right? So when the house lit up on fire, in seconds, your house is smoke, right? It was, my house was filled with smoke and he just screamed at me and he said, grab Jaden, which was my son. And then he ran and he, um, to see where we can go out, my house was kind of built like in a, a horseshoe and I stopped, I couldn't breathe in the house. There was so much smoke. And the moment I walked into my son's room, I could see where the smoke stopped at the door and I could see where the smoke stopped at the window. And I remember just standing there going, what is going on? And I grabbed my son and I grabbed his blanket and I threw it over his head and when I got around the corner, um, so the force was so, so much. Uh, the, the fire was so much that it, it burned for a week and the foundations of that house cracked. That's how bad it was. They couldn't rebuild on top of it because once again, everything in South Africa is built with brick, right? Um, but I remember my mom and my dad getting there that night. And while this house was burning, and obviously the fire, you know, they don't go in unless there's someone in danger. So you're standing outside and you're watching the accumulation of what you've, you know, your whole life is, is it's up in flames. And I remember my dad stopping there and he said, it's stuff. Stuff is not important. People are, and you are safe. And I remember my mom, my mom walking up and down next to my house manifesting, saying that we will not accept that. This is not from God, and we will not accept that. And we didn't have insurance at that point. 
And um, it turns out that, um, you know, the, we were living on a, like a farm area and my father-in-law at the time was also living on, on this farm, that he accidentally insured our house. Mm. That's grace. It's not accident. It's grace. Um, so we ended up getting a settlement from the insurance. And, yeah, I mean, I can tell you a million of these stories. <laughs> Goodness, I want to ask him. Uh, I think something you're highlighting, too, that I hope listeners hear is, is um, most people, when they hear a story like this or they experience anything like this, they kind of look inward and they say, God hates me. Because so many people look at circumstances and think that God ordained negative circumstances equals judgment or equals um, uh, equals discipline. Um, or they say, how can a good God do this, right? Um, I have this faith and I can't believe that a God would make this happen. But... What's evident to me is your consistent tone of I I believe that God is doing something good. This there's a grace in this. Like even just you just said, like, my house burned down. I lost everything. It's grace that we were on the insurance policy. Right? Like I think a lot of people would look at that and say, like, that's that's naive, but I see that as like that's that's beautiful. That's a beautiful like you're seeing consistent elements of trauma, pain you know, persecution, right? Uh, instability, lack of safety. And you're saying all these things have made you feel like, okay, your spir spirituality, your trust in God, he's been your rock through this. Um, how does that shape you now? Like now that you're, because uh, my hope at least is that you're not currently living in an environment where you're unsafe all the time. And you have had less crazy things happened this past year right <laughs> in terms of like in terms of like yeah. the past five years of living where you've lived and everything you've built and now working with the past year and a half two years at boulevard magazine like yeah. my hope is that you're not yeah. seeing the same tumultuous lifestyle and this this same circumstances where uh you're almost like what's next right <laughs> what could happen next yeah. How, yeah what is what is your spirituality like now like how like what does that feel like? Good question. I, I would always say to people, you know, it's easy to blame a God that you don't see. But we live in a fallen world. You know, why do we always want to blame God, but we don't want to give him the credit when something goes well? So it depends on your perspective, and it depends on, I think, for me, it's, following God is not about going to church on a Sunday. Yeah, I do, but it's not about that. It's about a personal relationship with him. It's about taking the time to pray, ask, and meditate. Meditate for me is listening, lying down, listening, right? It depends on your relationship. I had nothing. I had nothing or no one to hold on to but God, right? And don't, don't get me wrong. I tried... All others, I tried everything because you, when you're that broken and things, things around you seems to just keep falling apart, you're going to look. You're going to look everywhere. But I never got the same outcome 
and the same results. And I never experienced that love the same way that I did with God. So it was easy for me to return to that and say, wow, that is exactly, I know what I know what I know. And now today, I think my faith is stronger than ever. I, um, I'd say that because I... <laughs> I was praying for this man in my life, my whole life. I wrote down, I want this, and you hope it's your husband, right? You hope in that point it's the father of your kids, and it's really, it's really, it was really important to me, but it wasn't, because that turned out to be even worse, right? But coming through that, and I think getting to Canada and, and working through my own issues, because, I mean, I was carrying around probably 35 pounds of emotion, emotion in me that I kept inside and I, my everything here kind of went in because you keep everything inside, right? And the moment I started just breathing, just calming my nervous system, going back to the basics, you know, back to the beginning, I'm a, in a very happy relationship now for more than a year and I truly believe God sent him on my path. Absolutely, I have no doubt about it. Um, is everything that I asked for, is everything that I wanted, and, and I'm not saying, oh my gosh, he doesn't have flaws. We all have flaws, man, and we're always going to have to work through things. But it's our choice what we do with that. We all have a choice. We all get dealt a certain hand, and every one of us has a choice that we have to make ourselves. We, like I said, we're the total, the sum total of the choices we make. So, don't blame God if you are making the wrong decisions. Right? Look at your life where you at, and then put it into perspective. But the human race, unfortunately, we want an answer. We want to pinpoint a problem on someone other than ourselves, right? It's very difficult for people to do introspection. Very difficult. Not a lot of people do that, right? Because the moment you start unwrapping and you're doing introspection, you're like faced with, oh my gosh, there's so much, right? You feel overwhelmed at a point where you're like, there's so much we have to sort out. And with that, I was just like determined. I was determined to say that I want that peace in my life. I want to be whole for me. Because if I'm not whole, not, my kids won't be whole. I'm the mom in this house, and it's my future that I need to take care of, regardless of the circumstances or the people. You know what? I could go blame and say, oh, my gosh, I, you know, I was held a gunpoint or I was raped when I was young, which I was date raped. I was someone put something in my drink and that happened. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, maybe I shouldn't have been there. Maybe I should not have been there. So don't point your finger at someone else. I always say, if you do this, we all know that saying, three fingers point back at you. So first look at yourself, and then you can look at the rest, right? What would you say is the biggest differentiator between a good man and a bad man? And you're, you're saying like you wrote down a list of what you wanted, and, and you believe you found your, you know, your, your partner now, and he fits those qualifications. What... What's the difference between him, and I'm not saying this to like have you bash your exes, like like you said, everybody has flaws, everybody has good things, but yeah, no, no, I get you probably have a distinct understanding 
of, I don't want to use the word toxic because that's uh, overused and it means something different, but I am firm in saying that there's, there's traits that every man needs, and especially when it comes to relationships, there's a responsibility that every husband has to have. I feel responsibility over my wife. I feel responsibility over my kids, and that calling, not even by God, but just as a man, I mean, really by God, but, but as a man, yes. drives a lot of a lot of my life. Yeah. What, what's your perspective on, yes. on what you've looked for and what you think women should look for? Yeah. I think the two most important things for me was willingness and action. The willingness to work on something and not just say, it's you, it's you, it's you. To say, it's us. Let's see how we can get through this. Or build on this or learn from this, right? That willingness to work on a relationship, that willingness to hear someone out. Um, I was I was married to a narcissist for very long and you know you feel no worth. And I think the fir- one of the first things that that um I really respected of my my partner was, you know, just listening. He would listen to me and I would be like, oh there's a difference between listening and being heard. Wow, do I get that? You know, it's different, right? So hearing your body, making that time to sit and chat about it and say, this is where we're at. This is what I can give you. This is what I, uh, maybe what I can't give you. But play open, you know, have open cards with someone and, and, and put your expectations out there. Do not compromise. But before, even before all of that, before you choose a man or you decide who you wanted to choose, the most important thing for me is putting your own boundaries down. Before I even went that way, I said, okay, who am I, right? What do I like? What don't I like? What is a boundary? Where do I want to put up this boundary, right? And say, this is... This is my boundary. I don't want a man who cheats. I don't want a man who lies. I don't want a man who does X, Y, and Z. That's my boundary. Everyone else's boundary is going to be their boundary. I mean, I'm going to call you out on that. I'm going to, I'm going to cut you off there. I, I have to critique that because I think that's a non-negotiable, right? You can't, I don't even want a disqualifier of like yeah. liars. The fact that, that there's people that are still in relationships with liars and cheaters. With liars? Uh, if and if you're listening to this and you're in that relationship, please, please leave it because there are men out there that aren't liars. There's men out there that aren't cheaters, with flaws, yeah. with weaknesses. No man is perfect, but yeah. I, I appreciate you're saying you put up these boundaries. I just yeah. would love for the boundaries to have a, like, women. I believe in general need to have a higher standard for the men yeah. they they, they want to be with. Exactly, exactly, exactly. If you know who you are and you know what you want and don't want, then you'll very easily be able to say, you know what, sorry, that's not for me, right? And it's difficult because if you are a woman in a relationship that has been verbally abused for years, it's very difficult to climb out of that. It's very difficult if you don't have the support around you to climb out of that. I would say if you're in a relationship like that, reach out to someone who you trust and say, I need help. That was my biggest flaw, was not reaching out and saying, I need help to the right people. 
Um, I unfortunately said some of it to the wrong people and that hurt me even more. So make sure you have that trusted person. And you know what? It might be a friend now or it might be a life coach or it might be a therapist or a psychologist or whoever, right? You need to choose your person that aligns with your values and perspectives in life and then hold on to that. It's not an overnight process. Some days you go three steps ahead and some days you go two steps back, right? Because we work through it. It's layer by layer by layer Mm. that we work through it. Let's end there. Uh, What can people do to connect with you? How can people support you? People that are going to be inspired by, I mean, even just this, like people that are going to be inspired by your story, inspired by your perspective based on what you've experienced. Uh, what would you encourage them to do? What's their follow-up? What, yeah. should, what should they, what action should they take? Reach out. Reach out. If you don't have that, that courage in you to reach out to someone yet, do what you do best. Read a book. Listen to a podcast. There's so much available out there for everyone to grab onto. Listen. I think that was for the longest time I was just listening to podcast after podcast after podcast about self-growth, self-help. How do we you know, stop our limiting beliefs? There's so many out there, right? Grab onto that. And if that, if you don't know where to go, reach out to me on Instagram. Send me a DM. I will absolutely connect you to some great people in the communities you're at. Uh, or uh, online. These days, you know, most of it's online. We can do all of this in the comfort of our own home, which is lovely, right? Um, just reach out. And if you feel like you're discouraged, man, and you walk past me, just stop. I, I want to give you a hug. And I want to tell you, you're going to make it. Because you are going to make it. It's, there's nothing special about me. There's nothing special about anyone. Everyone has this in them. Everyone. There's not one person who was born without it. You have to go look for it. All of that is inside of you. You can take it out. And you can sparkle for everyone to see. Karen, I'm going to correct you there. There is something special about you. I appreciate your energy. I appreciate your joy um, and your genuineness. Um, So thanks for spending time and giving this to my community today. So um, people, I'll have... Karen's uh, Instagram handle and, and contact bef- below. And if you want to check out Boulevard Magazine, I'll have, uh, I'll have access to that in my show notes as well. But uh, thank you for listening. I hope you got value from this. And um, do what she says. Reach out. Reach out. Uh, invest in yourself because that's the most important investment you could ever make. Thanks for your time. Have a great one. Can't slow us down.